Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Let's stand and find Acts chapter number 17. Mission Weeks is going to pause us in our study in Acts, but that is just fine because we are going to focus on exactly the heart of the book of Acts, which is the whole world reached with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are in Acts 17. We're going to take part of the chapter today and we're going to deal with it and allow God to work in our hearts. And I believe it's an appropriate message to help us be ready for what the Lord is going to do in our lives in, uh, in the week of Mission Weeks. Are you excited to be here this morning? You guys are going to be a hard crowd today. Praise the Lord. We're in the house of the Lord. You're not going to hell if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. There you go. And we were trying to light. We were down at the Corvus this, this week uh, with uh, the Barber kids came down. And uh, if you know them, John Barber's my friend. He pastors in the other state up north. And uh, in an okay church at the Ann Arbor Baptist Church, right? No, it's a great church up at the Ann Arbor Baptist Church. And he came down. They had a wedding. And so he left part of the kids over with the uh, Corvus. And, uh, and they, uh, they were up at our house some. And it was 10 kids. And the Barbers have, they mirror our family. They, uh, so we have the same amount of kids uh, and same uh, gender order and, and basically around the same ages. So it's very, very interesting. But they were all over at our house, and we were down at, at their house, and the Corvus were celebrating all their birthdays at one time. And so there were like 42, uh, uh, 42 candles on top of that cake, and we were trying to light all the candles before all the candles melted. But you know, I, I, even as I, I got nipped once, right, it was, it was a little bit of a, a dance trying to get all those candles lit. And, uh, and thinking about that, you know, just a little bit of fire hurts. And if we can't take a candle burn, think about those that are around you in your neighborhood, your family, that do not know they're on their way to heaven. And think about how many in the world are so flippant about that. I'm going to go to hell and party with my friends. Oh, no, there's going to be no partying there. And think about the fact that many people consider this. They, they, they say, how can a good God do that? A good God right now has, through Jesus Christ, made a way for all to come to him and be restored and reconciled to him. And you know, you know, if you've received Jesus Christ today, you know that you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. May that lift our hearts to the heavens. Praise God for that. And so as we deal with this, you might wonder, what does the book of Acts have to do with my daily life? It has everything to do with your daily life. Because if we're not at the point of being able to share and declare the gospel and to carry out his mission in the world, something is not right and in order in our lives. So let's get our, get our hearts, get our minds in order, get us on God's track so that we can do his will this week. And we can save someone from the pit of hell. Now, he's the saver. We, we just get to be the messenger. But aren't you grateful God gave us good news to declare? He didn't, he didn't give us bad news that we have to declare like the media does all day long. Right? We don't have to. It's, it's a shocking thing when they come out and say, this is going to be a piece of good news. We, we do not have bad news to share. 
All right, we need to get to reading. Acts chapter 17 and verse number one. Now, when they, Paul and, uh, Paul and Silas, had passed through and Amphipolis, I told you in the class this morning, I practiced this Amphipolis, Amphipolis, I'm going to say it, help me, Amphipolis, say it with me, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. You'd think I'd get messed up on that word. Thessalonica. Say it with me. Thessalonica. Where was a synagogue of the Jews? And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and rise again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Jews or Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. That's Luke's way of saying it was a big amount. Luke is a master of understatement in the way that he talked. Verse 5, but the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, I don't like the sound of that, and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, Paul and Silas, they drew out, drew Jason and certain brethren, other believers, unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. He's allowed them in his home. He's complicit he's identifying with them and these all do contrary to the decrees of caesar saying that there is another king one jesus and they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things and when they had taken security of jason and of the other they let them go the security has to do with money it's like a payment uh perhaps similar to a bond um, but it, it's some sort of payment. Verse number 10, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who, coming thither, went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also Honorable of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, say it with me, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul in Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode still there in Berea. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Let's ask God's blessing. You may be seated. Father, thank you so much for your word and for the fact that uh, today you are intending to focus your church, your body, on your real purpose in the world. Lord, we, we have things in our lives that are important and needful. There's bills, there's, there's 
relational issues. There are things that are a matter in our lives that are important for us to deal with. But Lord, may we deal with them in light of eternity. And even now as we think about those things that might be on our hearts, God, would you help us to surrender those over to you and seek your guidance so that we can have the right perspective to face our coworkers tomorrow, our unsaved friends, and those that need to come to know you as Savior. Uh, establish us in our hearts, comfort us, give us great grace in our lives so that we might do your will today. And uh, bless us as we look into your word. Give us attentiveness to it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we think today, Paul and Silas are leaving Philippi where we were last week. And we remember that they, the church was propelled, the message of the gospel was propelled through persecution. It was not diminished, it was not slowed, it was not stopped. Jesus is building his church in the world and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of death, the, the forces of death, the forces of opposition, they will not prevail it against it. That's Jesus' promise. And so we saw that happen in the city of Philippi and uh, it, what a wonderful thing it is to know that even in this world, when there's opposition and so much persecution against Christianity and against the name of Jesus, Jesus is building his church. So it seems that Luke and uh, Timotheus or Timothy stayed there in Philippi for the time being to minister to this young church plant. They're there, they're working with them. As Paul moves on to Thessalonica, uh, uh, he meets up with a lot of needs there. In fact, he didn't want to be chargeable to the people there. He didn't want to take offerings from the people there that he was trying to win to the Lord, which is one of the reasons that we support church planners as they, they gather a church. It's one of the reasons Brother Pete Davison or Brad Bork is supported, so they're not chargeable to the people they're winning to the Lord. Then as the church is gathered together, the church should come to a point where it supports the pastor and, and those that uh, work of the gospel should be supported or live by the gospel, and that's, a, that's the pattern that God has. So they're there in Thessalonica, and Philippi hears the church, the believers there hear that Paul's having a rough time. Paul was a tent maker by trade, and so he's having a rough time there. He has a lot of needs. They send a love offering. I don't know who brought the first love offering. I don't remember right now, but the second love offering seems to be brought to Paul by Timothy, and Timothy seems to join up with Paul as he gets to Berea. And there in Berea, as they've run from Thessalonica because of the envious Jews, they've run to, on to Berea, uh, they face more opposition as they continue to preach the gospel. Both cities, they're preaching the gospel. That's what they're doing over and over again. And Paul ends up going down to Athens. What we're going to do is we're going to track through this and we're going to focus on his time in Thessalonica and also in, uh, in Berea today. And then uh, just talk a little bit about his trip down to Athens. But we're going we're gonna to understand something. In every single city that Paul was in, Paul continued to do the same thing over and over and over again. He preached the word. He preached the word. When Peter was in the different cities, up in Caesarea, um, uh, uh, Caesarea he, he preached the word. Wherever the early church went, they preached the word. In fact, when the early church was scattered because of the persecution in Acts 8, the Bible says that the church, the people, went everywhere preaching the word. First of all, with the word on their mouth. Secondly, actually declaring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that was the pattern of the church. And so it is with Paul. They went everywhere preaching the word. In fact, when you do a little study on the word preach in the book of Acts, we find this, that it's mentioned 37 times. And there's other times where it's mentioned the declaring 
or the proclaiming of the gospel. And those get a little bit, you have to study down into each verse exactly what's being talked about. But 37 times, more times than there are chapters, it is mentioned that the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was going forward. And here's what's interesting. Tucked away inside of this passage in verse number six, we find that the enemies of God, those that were religious but yet against God, and don't we live in a very religious, religious country? Very religious. And you know what? Let's just settle something right here. Atheism and humanism is absolutely a religion that people follow by faith. Humanism is the idolatry of humanity. They say their their tagline, their thought process is good without God. Harvard just hired their first atheist, humanist chaplain. Right? And he stated that you do not, in order to be a spiritual leader, you do not need to acknowledge a higher power. He thinks he is good enough on his own. He will lead no one nowhere but to hell. And so these are religions, and though the world thinks that they're running after atheism, and it's really the cool thing to do, this is a religion. This is a construct of humanity to be good enough for whatever is out there, to be good enough for, uh, for God. So they, they, they think, oh, I'm good enough just as I am. And they, they have this construct that they put together, this, this framework they follow by faith. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. How many can say amen to that? It's a relationship. I have a relationship with my creator, and it was all happened at the cross when Jesus Christ died in my place, reconciling me to holy God again. And what a blessing that it is. It's a, it's a relationship. So as we think about this, the enemies of God, those that were religious, those that claimed to be Jews, and followed the Mosaic law, and listened to the prophets, read these things over and over again in their synagogues, they said this in front of the, the political government of that day, the, the Roman government of that day, they come up against Paul and Silas and they say this, they say in verse number six, these that have turned the world upside down are come here also. What is going on here? We have some guys that are looking at the, the revolutionary teaching of Jesus Christ that he is the one who came from God. He is God. He came as Messiah and died in the place of mankind and took the sins for man. And this one is, is actually Jesus and he is God and he is the fulfillment of the Messiah. They said this is turning the world upside down. This doctrine is turning the world upside down. It's taking people away from our religion. It's taking people away from our way of thinking. It's taking people away from our pattern of living. And so the enemies of God said that the preaching of Christ was turning the world upside down. Now, it's interesting to think right now the world's kind of crazy, isn't it? Wouldn't you say the world is upside down? But you know the world thinks they're right side up. It's actually the preaching of Christ that brings the world right side up. But here's their statement, and I proudly wear it, and I, 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 I believe that these, these guys did it as well. It was an accurate statement that in their, from their perspective, from the world's perspective, the true biblical Christianity, true Christianity will turn the world upside down. And one of the problems we have here in America is we desperately need revival because we have mixed Christianity with the world, and it does nothing to affect the world. 
We need God in more ways than we can realize. Listen, we need God every single moment of our lives. And if, our, if God is not changing the way that we're living, we, we are, we are, our salt is lost its saltiness, our light is turned off to this world. Oh, God help us. And so here they are, they're saying, these people have turned the world upside down. Why? Because in every place, they're preaching the word of God. And it is the preaching of Christ. It is the preaching of Christ crucified and risen again that turns the world upside down. That changes the perspective of the world. By the way, once they come to Christ, they realize, oh, I'm right side up again. But it's not until then, because the the natural man is spiritually discerned. He does not have the ability to understand spiritual things. You are wacky to the world if you unfollow Christ. And you will be. Be fine with that. You don't have to be weird. Right? You don't have to be weird. But the world doesn't understand us, and Jesus told us that the world wasn't going to understand us. Why do we constantly try to get the approval of this world? There is no, there is no communication. There is no fellowship between light and darkness. God said that. And so we need to be very careful about that. And so from Paul's testimony and from the word of God that is inspired and given to us today, how how do we see here that, that their preaching of Christ turned the world upside down, changed the perspective of the world, and uh, is, is God going to be stopped by these, these envious, uh, malicious religious individuals trying to stop the word of God? The answer is, you're not very confident about that. The answer is, no. The gates of hell will not prevail against what Jesus Christ is trying to do. Let's get on his page, go with him, no matter where that leads us this week. And that might lead you into some difficult waters, but that is not. When you get in the midst of those difficult waters, don't think, oh, I'm doing the wrong thing. No, keep preaching and proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want you to notice in verses 1 through 9 how that it was very powerful preaching that Paul was bringing to Thessalonica. He gets there and he begins to preach the word of God and he goes to the synagogue. I want you to notice that the place that Paul chose after Philippi was divinely chosen. It was not something that that he's like, uh, well, you know, God had a purpose for placing Paul in that place. The other two cities that he passed through if you'll notice, it was about 32 miles to Amphipolis and about 32 miles on to, uh, on to uh, 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 Apollonia and then about another 36 miles on to uh, Thessalonica. And so as, as he makes that journey down uh, across there from Philippi over to Thessalonica, he passed two cities that did not have a Jewish presence in it. They did not have enough men to have a synagogue. There weren't synagogues there, but there was in Thessalonica. And it's interesting that, that there in Thessalonica uh, is where Paul was moved of God to, to stop and focus on this place. What, what's also interesting is that, that Thessalonica was a capital, it was a, it was a notable city in the Roman uh, government or construct or organization of that time in that area of Macedonia. So it was a key city. It was right on the coast. Uh, it was accessible uh, in fact, in politically, it would have ranked with Antioch in Syria and Caesarea in Palestine. So it was a notable city in that area. So God, God has a reason for where he places us, but he, he placed Paul there. And later on, we find when Paul writes back to the Thessalonians in Thessalonians 1.8, he said, from you, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith 
to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Do you catch the import of that? From Macedonia down to Achaia, uh, the Bible says through Paul that the, the church, the believers there, like you, uh, were so powerful in their witness and so dedicated to the Lord that it sounded out, it reverberated everywhere their, the, the testimony of Thessalonica went. It reverberated and uh, brought people to the Lord Jesus Christ so much so that they were a gospel message in and of themselves. That's amazing. Don't you want to be a gospel message in and of yourself? Friends, I have, I have I've not preached, uh, well, you know, I've preached a good amount of funerals. Yesterday was a privilege to preach the funeral for Brother Larry Carr. Let's keep Miss Karen, uh, continue to keep her in her prayers. But it was a privilege because there is a life that was a gospel message. And it was so easy to be able to say to the folks that are gathered, the family and friends that were gathered, hey, this is what he did. And this is what Jesus wants you to do. And to go back and forth. We want our lives to be a living picture of the gospel. Praise God for what was going on in Thessalonica. So they were sounding out. They are circulating. It's ringing out, ringing out. Hey, there's good news in Jesus Christ. So God has a greater purpose for where he placed Paul. He gave him a platform in that region, not only in Philippi, but now in Thessalonica, that would sound the gospel out and really would be a strategic place uh, for the go- uh, gospel, strategic center for the gospel going forward. So notice Paul's preaching in Thessalonica was focused on one person. If you look at verse number two, uh, verse number three at the end of it, and it says, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is, what is it? Christ. Christ. The preaching was centered on Christ, friends. He preached three Sabbath days in a row. It doesn't mean that that's all that he stayed there, but it does mean that he preached three Sabbath days. He went looking for the synagogue in town, which is actually what Jesus did in Luke chapter 4. Jesus would go to the synagogues and he would read the scriptures there. Jesus used that as his starting point in a city. So it's interesting that Paul modeled his ministry after what Jesus did uh, as well, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he started there. That was a great platform. There was a gathering already there. So they go there. It was a, a wonderful platform for the gospel. So he preached there. Now, what was Paul's sermon? It was really, really simple. It was two points, though I don't believe he just said the two points and he was done. Paul preached. And we know that Paul uh, had some long-winded times where he preached even till midnight. You know, sometimes you get the uh, Word of God open and it's amazing. It's like you don't want to stop. Uh, It's an amazing book. It's a living, breathing. It's a book that is living and it communicates life to us. And it's an amazing thing. And so Paul opens this up and he begins to tell them from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus the one who was first prophesied in Genesis 3 and verse number 15 would come into the world and that this Jesus or this Messiah, the one that was promised, the promised one, would actually have to die. Now that went against the, 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 uh, the thought process of the Jews. Remember how hard it was for the disciples to get it in their mind that Jesus was not going to set up the kingdom? So why is Paul having to argue or allege, open and allege, here's what the Bible says, that all the way throughout the Old Testament prophets, the Messiah that would come would need to suffer. Isaiah 53, anyone? Right? He's going to need to suffer. He's going to be despised and rejected of men. That was as far from their thinking as, as possible. 
They wanted a king. They wanted one to save them nationally. By the way, be very careful right now to not get caught up in what you could, uh, what you could call uh, the conservative movement. I'm a conservative, all right? I am. Be careful not to get caught up in the conservative movement and think that that's Christianity. Are you with me? There are people that have the same, a similar outlook on the world, but they're not, they're not followers of Jesus Christ. So be careful about that. And so uh, here, here you have these folks that, that were not in line with Jesus Christ as all, uh, at all. They, they were religious, but they were not in line with what he was going to do. So he's opening up the Bible and he's saying, listen, I want you to know that the Messiah, the promised one, has to suffer. And we're not looking for uh, as someone to remove the domination of Rome from us, right? We're not looking for a, a, a new political leader, a new political king. We're looking for a suffering servant. So he opens that up to them, saying, this is what's been told. Isaiah said it. Jeremiah said it. Uh, the Psalms, the Psalms that you sing say it. And he opens this up. Christ, the Messiah, had to suffer. Christ actually means the promised one or the Messiah had to suffer and he would rise again. And that's brought out in, in uh, chapter 22 of Psalms and in other places, chapter, uh, chapter 2, there's, there's many references to the rising of, of, uh, of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so what did Paul do after he preached this, that your Messiah wasn't coming to get a crown, he came to get a cross, first of all. He needed to go to the cross. Now what he did is he takes... Christ the Messiah, the Messiah, and he says, now I want you to know who the Messiah is, is Jesus. And at that point, the message and the audience changed. At that point, the message became very powerful, poignant, and very divisive. Because enter the name of Jesus Christ, and you enter into today's circumstances, the moment you say Jesus Christ, you immediately split things right down the center. So that's the moment this message that Paul was preaching became powerful when he entered and connected the promised Messiah and Jesus as being one and the same on persons. And so it became a very, very powerful message to those Jews. Now, what happens? God moves. There are Gentiles that believe, and there's some Jews that believe. Some of the religious Jews, verse number four, believed but many Greeks that were listening in, many devout people that were, that were God-fearing, many, many uh, people uh, that were religious, many Greeks that were religious, uh, even steeped in idolatry, Greek, um, Greek idolatry, many of them came to the Lord, and it was an amazing thing. All this happened because Jesus Christ was preached, because Paul was standing up and saying, the Messiah that you're looking for is actually Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. Spurgeon said this. He was recounting a, an elderly pastor sharing with a younger minister in training. He said this to this young minister. Don't you know, young man, that from every town and every village and every hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there is a road to London. So from every text in Scripture, there is a road toward the great metropolis, which is Jesus Christ. My dear brother... Your business is when you get a text to say, now, what is the road to Jesus? 
I have never found a, ta- a text that I, I had not got a road to Christ in it. And if I ever find one, I will go over hedge and ditch, but I will get to my master for the sermon cannot do any good unless there is a savor of Christ in it. And Paul in there in Thessalonica lifted up Jesus Christ. He didn't go find common ground with them. That's what the religions of the world want to do with us. Let's discuss. Let's get together. It's all the religions. I saw a recent picture of the Pope gathered with a bunch of other world religious leaders. This is the the worldly satanic mindset. Let's all get together, find our common ground. There is no common ground with the rest of the world's way to God and Christianity. There is no common ground. There is one way to Jesus Christ and that way, one way to God and that way is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So if we are to preach powerfully, we have to exalt the name of Jesus. He has to be lifted up. He has to be on your lips this week. If your co-workers do not know that you follow Jesus, if they do not know about your relationship with Jesus, you've let them down. Please, God, help us to have the name of Jesus on our lips. And so as Jesus was preached, there are this, this response of faith from some of the Jews, some of the religious Jews, and many of the idolatrous Greeks in verse number uh, uh, 9 of First uh, Thessalonians 1. It says, For they themselves show unto us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how that ye turned from... Uh, Turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There was a wonderful conversion, a great awakening to Jesus Christ that happened inside of the city of Thessalonica. As Paul did what he said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And he says to the Jew first and also to the, to the Greek. So God chose the place Paul preached in Thessalonica. He gave him a platform there. His preaching centered on Christ, which made it powerful. But I want you to notice what his preaching did to the newer believers that were there. His preaching compelled them to be totally committed to Jesus Christ. Now this is very, this is highly important. Because sometimes we, we think, you know, when a baby is born, we, we, we think, well, we give them a little bit of slack. They're not going to walk for the first 9, uh, 10, 12 months. And we give them a little bit of slack. We don't come to them and say, get up and, you know, get up and walk. We don't, we don't talk that way. Hurry up, feed yourself. Uh, if you can't feed yourself, um, then, then fine. We don't, we don't talk to babies that way. There is a sense that when a person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, they are a babe in Christ. The Bible talks to us about that. But there's also a sense where we let them down by not helping them to realize they have a great obligation to follow Jesus Christ with total commitment. And we give a lot of excuse giving to new believers. And let me just speak to, uh, to new believers. Those you've been saved in the last five, five years or less, can I just encourage you? that these believers here in Thessalonica are a wonderful illustration of what you ought to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't settle for less. Go all out for God. Go all out for God. Go all out for God. And God forgive us in the, in the older generation of, of the Christian faith for not, for not exemplifying that more. Oh, that we would be an example to the younger believers both in age and also just in, 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 uh, in, in uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual age. But they compelled, the preaching compelled them because notice, and some of them believed, and I want you to look at verse number four, look at it with me, and some of them believed, and what is the next couple of words? And consorted. You say, well, what's that all about? Consorted with Paul and Silas. The idea of consort is to join or to cast in your lot. It's the cast in your lot. It's the idea of, of casting in one's 
lot in life or fortune in with a group. Uh, we could say it like this. They put all their eggs in one basket. They left nothing on the table. They invested it all. They didn't just put part of their... their, their they didn't just put their finances in the offering plate. They put themselves in the offering plate, if you want to look at it that way. They, they got all in. They, they consorted with Paul and Silas. What was this? They identified with these that had brought the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, but not just them, with Jesus Christ himself. This was a work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Anytime this happens, it's a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. They were Romans 12 and verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. They consorted. They threw it all in. What did the preaching of Paul do? It, it compelled them. If Jesus did that for me, I should give him everything I have. Vance Havner, an old preacher from the past, he said, there, are, there is no such thing as inactive church members. There are either gatherers or scatterers. And the right kind of preaching compels men and women to show which side they're on. I'm fully aware that sometimes in this auditorium, there are going to be people that walk out more resistant to following Jesus Christ. And there's going to be others that walk out in love with Jesus Christ. The same message causes people to make a decision. And I'm okay with that. And you ought to pray, and you pray for me, you ought to pray that the preaching is, is clear enough so that we have to make a choice. Will I follow Jesus Christ in total commitment, or will I just go my own way? But you can't go your own way and unfollow Jesus Christ at the same time. Do we need to stop there? The amen's dried up. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can't. We can't serve two masters. We can't serve mammon and, and follow after the way of this world and and pursuing all the life pleasures. Listen, friends, so very quickly, the life pleasures might not be there. They're, 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 they're a worthless thing to follow after. God gives us all things richly to enjoy, but don't set your heart upon them. Don't set your heart upon your money. Don't set your heart upon your house. You might not always have that house. You might not always have that car. Don't set your heart upon that. Set your heart upon Jesus Christ. And so we, we have to pick a side. They picked a side. They consorted. They threw their lot in with the Apostle Paul. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. And don't fool yourself just because you're sitting in the, in the auditorium of Grace Baptist Church that, that you're, you're as spiritual as Jesus wants you to be. You could be sitting here hearing the word of God over and over and over again and hardening your heart. And how do we know that? You haven't responded to the Lord and had something spiritual that God has done in your heart. You can't point back to the last time you say, God spoke to me right here, and I changed my life because of what he said. And if you can't remember the last time that that's happened in your life, you need to run to God. You are not living the full, uh, full life that God intended for you to live. We, we desperately need him. We desperately need him to help us in this way. So the powerful and preaching, uh, clear preaching of Christ resulted in some receiving it and some resisting it. And those that received it, they jumped all in. Let's be like them. Let's be like them. The preaching also caused the unrepentant. Here's the part we don't like. It caused the unrepentant to organize chaos. To organize chaos, because look at verse number five. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, 
They disobeyed the truth. By the way, when a person rejects the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're literally disobeying Almighty God. Was it not Wesley, uh, I think I'm getting the name mixed up, that preached the message, sinners in the hands of an angry God, and pictured the idea of a a man hanging over the pit of hell as held by a thread, just a a slender thread, just waiting uh, for, for the end of life to come and to drop into hell's fires for all of eternity. It is literal disobedience to Almighty God, the Creator, to say, I reject Jesus Christ. And that's brought out here. They rejected it. They believed not. The word means they disobeyed. They refused it. Do not, do not presume upon the mercy of God. Do not presume upon the mercy of God. If you need to be uh, saved today, this is the day of salvation. Today, while you're still breathing, boast not thyself of tomorrow. You don't know what the day is going to bring forth. Boast not. And so here we have it. They believed not. They disobeyed the truth about Jesus Christ. They were unrepentant religious people. Now think about that. It seems like an oxymoron, but it's not. We have all over our community unrepentant religious people. I am good enough for God just the way I am. I went to church. I know the story. I know all the stories. I hear people say that. I know the whole thing. They're hanging over the pit of hell. Their life and eternity is weighing in the balance. Friends, will this not change the way that we view the, the lost and the way the lost treats us and the way that the, the, the sinful man acts? Sinners act like sinners. Will this not change the way that you view your family who's unsaved? Sinners act like sinners. They're hanging. Their life is in the balance. You need to do everything you possibly can to rescue them. Jude talks to uh, to us about rescuing them out of the fire. That's the picture. That's the urgency of right now. What's Mission Week's all about? We need to stir up church to realize this is an urgent matter. What if Jesus comes back today? The great shame of what's happening in Afghanistan is there's, there are many people who are going to a Christless eternity earlier than they should have. Think about that. We see it from a political and all these, these the, the, uh, world standpoint, but the great tragedy is those that are many who have gone to hell in the past couple of weeks. That's the great tragedy. They're unrepentant. They refused it. They had envy, the Bible says. They were jealous. Jealous of what? That there was a following, that people's hearts were ignited around Jesus Christ. Oh, they were jealous. So what did they do? All right, this is really interesting, guys, because nothing, nothing changes in the world. Satan works in the same old way. And I just... I just I just challenge you to consider if you don't see any correlations with how Satan is working in the world today. And look at how they organized this chaos. They took certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. So here's what they did. They went to the marketplace. They found those that were hanging out that were willfully unemployed. I did not say unemployed. I said willfully unemployed. They were idle. They had nothing to do. Perhaps these are those that are hanging out because I don't want to go to work right now, hanging out in the basement, uh, basement playing video games all day long. That, that's, that's the correlation to today. I don't want to go to work. There's a virus out there, and I'm getting a pretty good check. That's the idea. 
So they found those that were in the marketplace, the marketplace of their life. They didn't have video games back then or other things like that to, to keep people indoors. Everyone was out just kind of hanging around, just hanging. They were, they were loiterers. And on top of that, they were evil. They were godless. They had no scruples, no morals. They could be bought off. And so what did they do? They went and employed these evil market loiterers. They took certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. And so then they gathered a mob. This is all the religious, unrepentant religious Jewish individuals that are angry at Paul for preaching Jesus Christ, uh, the Messiah as Christ. So they gathered a mob. It says it there, they gathered a company. They literally orchestrated a mob. You do this, you do this, we're all meeting at this place. They didn't have Facebook back then, but they were able to still orchestrate those types of things. And so they, they gathered this mob. Then they caused continual chaos throughout the city. All they set, actively set, all the city on an uproar. The idea of uproar is that they, they caused a great state of commotion and confusion. Has anyone seen any of that? Has Satan changed his tactics? Now I realize not everything that has been dealt with over the past, um, past year and, and so has all been centered around someone preaching Jesus Christ. Some of it has, and you've seen some of the, the, the videos that have come out, people standing in the middle of a street, in the middle of that situation, preaching Jesus Christ and bringing great uproar. So they, they caused continual chaos. That's the idea. It, was, it, was, it went on and on and on and on. They wore the people down with the, with the chaos and that's what they do. They assaulted the house of Jason in this chaos. Doesn't that sound interesting? They go to this guy's house. This is where the preachers are hanging out. We're going here. He's going to send them out. And when they couldn't get Jason to send out the preachers, they weren't there. Uh, they took Jason himself. You identify with them. You're partnering with these guys. And so you're as good as them. And so they took them into town. When they took them into town and brought them before the Roman government, Think about this. The Jews did not like the Roman government. And at this point, they're going to link with the Roman government just like they did when they were bringing Jesus to the cross. And so they're going to link. They bring them before this, the, the government, the magistrates at that time, and they turn, over the, uh, they turn over Jason and say that he's aligning with these preachers that have come in to turn the world upside down. Do you know what they did? They accused the preachers of doing the very thing they were doing. Were they not turning that city upside down? causing it to be in complete chaos, assaulting houses. So they began to accuse the preachers of the same thing they were doing. Satan does that all the time. By the way, a spiritual application to that, you, when you allow sin to reign in your life, friends, you'll begin to see every other Christian is very likely committing the same sin. If you do not walk right with God, I've seen this over and over and over again, you begin to go around accusing other people of doing the very thing that you're doing and trying to hide. Very sobering. Very sobering. Be right with God. And so they, they're accusing these preachers of this. And uh, the, the fifth thing they do, they align themselves with Caesar because in verse number seven through nine, they, they say... They become the police officers for Caesar, and they say, these guys aren't following what Caesar says. Wait a minute, I thought you didn't really like Caesar. I thought you didn't like his domination, but all of a sudden, now you want his laws? And so they align with Caesar. They align with, with, with the government. It's interesting how godless 
uh, individuals without any integrity or character will just be bought and sold by whatever fulfills their agenda. And so Satan's at full work here. And you know what's amazing to me? This, this, uh, this guy, Jason, identified with Paul so much so in the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, that, that he was persecuted as though he were, was the preacher. Could we not have a church full of Jasons? Is that not what this community needs? You're so identified with the preaching of Jesus Christ that you're just, you're just a target as much as the preacher. Pretty amazing. So they take this bond or this payment from Jason and they let him go. And, uh, and it's amazing that in this city of Thessalonica, the preaching of the cross goes forward. The preaching of Christ goes forward. And there's opposition. And I just say this, that if we never face opposition, we're probably not preaching Jesus Christ. We're probably not facing Je- I'm preaching Jesus Christ. So friends, let's, let's, let's kick it up. Let's ask God for his help. For the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness, is stupidity. But to us which are saved, it is, do you know it? The power of God. The power of God. We spend too much time trying to think, how can I argue a person into heaven? We can't. We can't. We preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, and Jesus will take care of the rest. Lift up Jesus Christ this week. And so this Paul is, is, is accused, and now they're going to be running out of town. You'd think, uh, you'd think that they might get discouraged, but they were not. Uh, my friend Chad Connolly says something when he's trying to encourage us. Sometimes when we win, we quit. Sometimes when we lose, we quit. Sometimes that's the way it is in the church. We, we win and we have a, a great time. We see someone come to the Lord and like, well, I can take a break now. No, keep preaching Jesus. Sometimes when we lose, oh, someone opposed me, we quit. No, let's not do that. They didn't quit. And no doubt Paul would have re- liked to remain in, in uh, Thessalonica. But the fact is God in his providence would use him in Berea, but use him later on to write two letters back to Thessalonica that we still read today 2,000 years later and they're of great instruct to us. We are still benefiting from him having to leave town. Praise God. So he didn't quit preaching. All he did is he went to another city and persistently preached. And so verse number 10, he goes to Berea. So he travels the 50 miles to Berea. And uh, he gets there. There's a synagogue there. And he goes there and he preaches. He enters the synagogue and preaches Christ just like he had in Thessalonica and in Philippi. Nothing was different. He's just continuing to preach Jesus Christ persistently. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Paul later told Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. C.H. Spurgeon said it this way, Never was a man blamed in heaven for preaching Christ too much. Nay, not even on earth to the sons of God was the cross ever too much spoken of. Outsiders may say, this man harps only upon one string. Do you wonder? The carnal man is at enmity against God and especially shows in its hatred by railing at the cross. Saintly ones find here in perpetual monotony of the cross a greater variety than in all the doctrines put together. Preach Christ, he said to um, preacher boys as he's encouraging him. Preach Christ, preach Christ, preach Christ and Christ and nothing else but Christ. And that's what Paul did. Just keep preaching Christ. Friends, that's for us today. We've been commanded to preach Christ. And you know what happened? As they preached Christ, they discovered ready hearts. 
Sometimes the reason you don't have divine appointments is because you're not opening your lips to preach Christ. You take the first step and obey God, God will show you to the hearts that are ready to hear it. You with me this morning? You take the first step. Be ready with the gospel track. Be ready to share Christ. Be a ready witness. And so what did he do? He found that there were people with ready minds. They were eager to hear the word of God. They had the Old Testament scriptures. So what did they do? As they heard Paul, they opened it up and searched it out. They analyzed it themselves and said, is this actually true? Is the Messiah already come? Is this really Jesus? And with readiness of mind, they received him. There was a large response. Many Jews in Berea believed in the Messiah. Many honorable Greeks believed, and men and women believed. There was many that believed. And, you know, as we are willing to persistently preach Christ, we can expect that God will bring the opportunity. He will open up doors to those that are ready to hear and ready to hear the, the message. You know, the parable of the sower, I was listening to it this week, and it just struck me that those seeds, as they were cast, were thrown out, and they hit different types of ground. Sometimes we think, well, if I only can find good ground to give the gospel to, then I'll preach the gospel. No, our job is to sow the seed, preach Jesus. And it's their responsibility to receive it and to grow. But friends, maybe the reason America is not, is not where it ought to be spiritually is because we failed to preach Jesus. We, we've gotten content with everyone saying, well, I believe, and not really digging any further. not really challenging them about their relationship with Jesus Christ. This isn't just some mental ascent. And, and so we, we have failed in the matter of preaching Christ. We sow a little bit of Christ. We reap a little bit of Christ. We sow much of Christ. We reap much of Christ. Let's sow the gospel this week. Let's allow God to use the mission weeks to, to reorient our lives around the spreading of the gospel. This is why we're here. You're not here to build a company. You're not here to buy a nicer house. You are not here for anything other than the purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ, friends. We're not. And you might be afflicted in your mind and might be, might, might be struggling in your mind because you're trying to serve two gods. You can't do it. Your gods here on earth will not be in heaven. There will be one God you bow before, one God that you worship, and will gather around his throne, and it will be a wonderful thing. As they preach the gospel, as they preach the gospel there in Berea, Shock of shocks, they drew more resistance. Because the preaching of Jesus Christ always draws resistance. It is not popular. The lie of Satan to the church in America today and to you as, as individuals right here is that following Jesus Christ is going to be popular. And it's going to be a concert and everyone's going to be having a good time and everyone's gathering around in their, their church. And you know, it's just going to be a really popular thing. Christianity has always been the, the, the relationship of a few that are following after Jesus Christ. It is not pop culture. And friends, even if there was a time in our world, uh, in our, our country, where there was more of a bent towards Jesus Christ, we don't have home field advantage anymore. We are, we are strangers in this land. You are, <laughs> Jesus already told us we are to be strangers in this land, by the way. This land was never to have a hold over us. But we're strangers in this, in this country. This country has turned its heart away from God. We can say amen, but we, we got to get out there and 
get the gospel there. It's, it's time to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to expect the opposition to come so the resistance came. In fact, the resistance was, this, this just gets me every time. Uh, the same Jews up in Thessalonica that started up up there heard about the preaching of the word and were so irate about it that they come down to, they travel from here to Columbus or so to stir the city up over there. Stay in your own city. Mind your own business. Why is it bothering you? Why? Because they're energized by Satan. They're led of Satan. Their father is Satan. In the lust of their, fa uh, their father, they will, they will do. So they stir it up. Satan's ambassadors of chaos will go to great effort to travel. And you think that's not even happening in our day? It does. Load up the buses let's, let's, uh, of idle people to bring them to different places, to pick up bricks, torch cities, speak against those that are trying to keep peace, but this was all centered on uh, getting the gospel preachers to stop. And you know what's interesting? It seems like the ambassadors of chaos that are energized by Satan often have, they don't. They have an endless supply of idle time. And seemingly, where in the world do they get their money if they don't work? You ever wondered that question? <laughs> where, did, where, where did they get their money, uh, money here? And so they're, they're, they're running along. They're at Thessalonica. They're taking, they're taking time. Other people are having to go to work in Thessalonica, and they're running, down to, they're running down to Berea to stir it up there again. So they faced resistance again. Let's not be uh, shocked by that. But then notice, lastly, verse 14, as Paul has to leave town and go down to Athens, the preaching, the persistent preaching of Jesus Christ had developed or motivated great resolve in the believers again. And you know what happens here? There's some guys that see the, hey, what's happening there in Berea and say, Paul, we got to get you out of town again. We'll take care of things here, but we got to get you out of town again. So they bring them as down to the sea. Now, there's a little bit of debate whether they, they got on a boat and traveled some of it or whether they took the highway. Uh, there was a Roman highway that I failed to mention at the beginning that all these cities were connected by. There was the great uh, Roman highway that, that, was, uh, that was, uh, they were traveling on. So whether he, he, took, uh, he took this or whether um, they got in a boat, we, we don't fully know. But I do know this. The Bible says that the brethren, the believers there, conducted Paul, verse number 14, conduct, verse 15, conducted Paul. They accompanied him. They traveled with him. So I want you to get the import of this. These brothers, how many of you are brothers today? Some of you don't know whether you're a brother. If you're saved and you know it and you're a, you're a man, you're a brother. If you're saved and you know it, then you're a sister, okay? Uh, and so praise, and praise the Lord. And it, we're a part of the family of God. So these brothers, these guys, got together and they got Paul out of town and they traveled 200 plus miles to get Paul down to Athens. I want you to think about that. That would be a, a really, you know, there and back would be a really good day's work, right, in our day. But this wasn't just a day's work. Here's some brothers that so believed in the cause and guaranteed they weren't being funded with Satan's money or corrupt money. <laughs> Whatever. Guaranteed they're, they're, they're having to sacrifice to make this happen. Now, I don't know who these guys are, and the Bible doesn't really tell us that, but I know from their actions, they were willing, so willing to be a part of what God was doing in this, uh, this region to get Paul, the preacher, on to the next, next area so he could continue to preach the gospel. That's astounding to me. That's commitment. That's resolve. You see, friends, 
we think sometimes that the church, you know, you have a preacher and you have the people, and, and we have different, different jobs. No, our job is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to preach Christ. Now, you are either the preacher or you're the, the person helping the preacher in following Jesus Christ in this matter of proclaiming Christ in the community or in the world. You understand what I'm saying? This isn't about, about the preacher, it's about Jesus Christ. So either there's one proclaiming Jesus Christ and those helping to make that happen and to facilitate. It takes more than the preacher to make that happen in a city. How many of you understand that? It takes more than the preacher to make that happen. And so what I see here in this church in Umbria was a group of people that were vested. There was a group of brothers that were vested in this matter. What does that look like today? I challenge you to think about that question. How can you help? Now, we're all to preach the gospel, but how can you help facilitate the preachers of the gospel? How can you help that? How can you make sure that it's not, it's not being squashed, that it's, it, it is going forward? These men, though we don't know their names, were essential to the spread of the gospel down into Achaia. So everyone in the church is important. Aren't you thankful for that? Everyone. So here's what we learned today. Powerful, persistent preaching of Jesus Christ will be understood by the world to be turning it upside down. And that's true. And perhaps the reason we don't see the world being turned upside down is because we're not preaching Christ, which is powerful preaching, and doing it persistently. We do it here a little, there a little, and then we expect great fruit from it. It needs to be on our lips everywhere we go. In fact, let me say it to you this way. There is no alternative to the preaching of Jesus Christ to transform this incredibly messed up world. There is no alternative. Not a special program. Not an age-divided program. Not a nice facility. We could do this in a tent, friends. Not air conditioning. I like media, but not media. I was thinking about that. We need Jesus Christ. He is. He's it. Friends, we as a church need to get on the same page about this matter. Far too long have the members of Grace Baptist Church been content to be kind of mediocre about sharing Jesus Christ. It needs to be on our lips every single day. Every single day. You say, well, I don't want to offend. Every single day we are here, we exist in this community to preach Jesus Christ. If that is not the case, you should pray along with me that God takes us out of this community and lets another church rise up and fill our place that's more unpassionate about the preaching of Christ. We should be taking the tracks. We should be taking the message everywhere we go. This city ought to be filled with the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone that knows you ought to, uh, ought to identify you as a Jason with there's that church that proclaims Jesus Christ. They're not a big church. There's that church that proclaims Jesus Christ. Friends, there's no alternative. And you know what? The only alternative to, to 
witnessing as Jesus told us to in Acts 1 and verse number 8. The only alternative is disobedience. It's the only alternative. So as we go into mission weeks, this is not just about, we call mission weeks, yes, about foreign missions, but it's not just about foreign missions. What are you doing right now in the city of Kettering and in your neighborhood and in your family? Boy, would God motivate us. You know, we cannot complain. We cannot complain about the state of our world if we're not preaching and proclaiming Jesus Christ. Well, I don't like the decisions that have been made here in America. If you only complain and do not preach Jesus Christ, you are part of the problem, not the solution. The problem is we've gotten really, really good at complaining about what's going on in our world. Jesus told us the solution was this. Go ye into all the world and what? Preach the gospel. So it needs to be on our lips. And as far as a church collectively, we need to be looking. How are we going to help the, the preachers of the gospel? How are we going to help a Ken Fielder or a, a Daniel Burdine uh, as they come through? How are we going to help these preachers on their way to be more effective in getting the gospel out? How are we going to help them on their way? How are we going to help the Bloyds in uh, Italy? How are we going to help uh, the, the Messers over in Kenya? How are we going to help them on their way to get the gospel spread further? How are we going to help them along? Well, that's, that's going to be our focus. God, what do you want us to do to help these preachers on their way? How, how do you want us to help Paul's, Paul-like preachers from Berea down to Athens? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to give up? What, how much do you want me to give uh, this, uh, this, uh, this uh, year out of my paycheck to, to, uh, to fund world missions and to fund the preaching of the gospel? Hey, do you want me to uh, uh, go to Grenada? Do you want me to go to this, this area to preach the gospel and to, to, um, to be a help to a missionary, come alongside of a missionary? What do you want me to do? Friends, we cannot look at the world around us and just complain if we're not willing to preach Jesus Christ. You are here to be one that turns the world upside down. And that only happens with powerful, persistent preaching of Jesus Christ. Him crucified and risen again. Praise God. Let's talk to God about this. Would you bow with me? I think God's working in our hearts this morning, and so I'd like for you to stand right now, and I'd like for you to find a place to pray this morning and bow before the Lord. Lord, I see my need to be a preacher of the gospel. I see my need to powerfully, persistently be proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so right now, as the music plays, let's find places to pray and seek God about this matter. Maybe you'll come here with your wife and say, by God's grace, by God's grace, we're going to be doing this as a family. We're going to center this around. We're going to center our lives around the preaching of Christ. We're going to be lifting up Christ. Maybe you need to come and just confess, God, I've, I've left this to the church. I've left this to the pastor. There's other people. But I, I, from now on, will be engaging in the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll have tracks in my pocket. I'll be taking the gospel out to my neighbors. I'll be looking for those opportunities. I'll be spreading the seed. Church, let's do business with God.
Perhaps you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I urge you not to disobey the voice of the Holy Spirit right now. Right now is the time to bow your head, to admit to Jesus Christ that you are a sinner and that you do deserve hell for your sins before a holy God. You are compared to a holy God, not compared to someone else. And before God, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. Admit to him you're a sinner. Receive Jesus Christ. Believe on him. Trust in him and what he undid for you at the cross and how he paid the full payment of your sin. Accept the free gift of eternal life. Would you call out to him? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We call out to him from a heart belief. I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ is righteous. He died in my place. I accept the free gift that he provided for me through his death at the cross. Thanks for joining us for this episode. And please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode. I look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church podcast.